hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Spanky. That, that song ministered to this congregation this evening. Amen. First Samuel 17, as we stand to go to the word of the Lord. We're going to have a great time this weekend. Our Thanksgiving service, our Sunday school department has some things planned. And uh, we, we're going to have some great food afterwards and fellowship. Bring someone with you. And I've learned that free food attracts people. So let's just get them here. Okay. Amen. Verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, speaking of Goliath, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? and taketh away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. I'll draw my text from verse 29, rather my subject. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a call? Is there not a cause? I want to preach tonight by the help of the Lord from the subject, the cause is greater than the cost. The cause is greater than the cost. Shall we lift our hands to the Lord one more time? Let's ask him for his help. Father, we come tonight needing the help of the Holy Ghost. Lord, that your word would have free course and liberty to minister as you desire it to do so. I pray that you would give your church ears to hear what the Spirit would say and give us faith to embrace your word and to apply your word to our life. We give you glory and we give you praise. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord one more time as you're being seated. The cause is greater than the cost. The story of David and Goliath is probably one of the top three or four stories that I would imagine is told across denominational boundaries. I believe that it possesses universal truths that are applicable to every individual. Perhaps it could be labeled as the ultimate underdog scenario, insomuch that the term David versus Goliath 
is often used outside of spiritual realms. It's used in sports world, in the sports world, it's used in other aspects of life. It, it epitomizes something great versus something small. Many people know the highlights of this story. They know that David had five smooth stones, came from the babbling brook, put one stone in, killed the giant, cut off the head of the giant, and was victorious. I just told you the whole story in a nutshell. I want to take this story from a different angle. I don't want to sow seeds of confusion, but I think I can give you some background that maybe is not discussed much, but has certainly has aspects of validity woven throughout Scripture. I want you to remember that Scripture says Jesus was the root and the offspring of David. So a lot of what you see in Jesus, you'll also see similarities in David. They were kin. And remember, history tends to repeat itself. So now let's dig in. In order to understand what Jesus did and why he did it, we've got to go all the way back to David, and we first have to know who David was and why he did what he did. This is what David said in Psalm 69, 18. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. So what does this mean? A stranger, an alien. What did David do to cause him to be excluded from joining his brothers when the prophet Samuel showed up and called for the children of Jesse? It was not accident that David was not invited. This was merely one display of a lifetime of exclusion. He didn't forget David in the field. This was a way that David was treated all of his life as a stranger and as an alien. So what did he do? I'll tell you what he did. He was born. This is why he said in Psalm 51 and 5, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. The word sin in this verse is not denoting the sinful nature that all humans are born with, but rather a specific act of sin. There's a book called the Midrashim, which is a rabbinical exegesis of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. And I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase this book. This was this was written during the time that they lived, okay? And so we have to we have to compare it with scripture and see if it proves itself valid. So David's father was Jesse. He was the grandson of Boaz 
and Ruth, which you can read their love story in the book of Ruth. And Jesse lived with a constant torment in his mind stemming from the seemingly illegitimate marriage of his Moabite grandmother to Boaz. Ruth was a Moabite. Jesse understood that this is what the Torah said. It forbade an Israelite to marry a Moabite because the nation once refused Jewish people passage through their land after they escaped from Egypt. This is found in Judges chapter 11, verse 17, when the, the Moabites wouldn't let the Jews pass through. So they established a decree that no Jew could marry a Moabite because they didn't show kindness to the Jewish people. So the law was strictly enforced when it came to Moabite males. However, when it came to a female Moabite, one who was willing to convert, the rules were eventually relaxed and the mixed marriages were quietly permitted. So we find in Ruth chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, Boaz publicly declared his desire and his intent to marry Ruth. And in doing so, one could assume he was hoping to silence the critics and to stop any objections to the amended law. However, as Scripture reveals, Boaz never got the opportunity to squash the rumors that would begin that night. For the night after his wedding, he died. One night, he was married to Ruth. But one night was all it took for Ruth to conceive, and in due time, she gave birth to Obed. So with Boaz gone, people began to talk, because you and I know what people do best is people talk. I learned that in Catahoula Parish. Maybe there's some descendants. Questions regarding the, Mo the marriage undoubtedly abounded. Maybe the, maybe the marriage to Ruth, the Moabite, should never have been allowed. Maybe Boaz's death was judgment because he married a Moabite. And you know that that, that fish can get bigger and bigger and bigger the more people talk. So imagine over time how the gossip grapevine was in full swing. And by the time Obed's son Jesse had sons of his own, the whispers of years gone by were now louder than ever before because that marriage was labeled as illegitimate. And Jesse tried to figure out a way to restore dignity and honor to the family name. He entertained the thought so much that history bears out he abstained from marital relations with his wife, whose name was Nitzavet. This was, this, this was his wife, Nitzavet. He continued to provide, but they lived separate. So years later, history bears out that he longed for a child whose lineage was not in question. He wanted a child whose pedigree was pure. So he made arrangements to marry his wife's Canaanite maidservant. And this maidservant knew 
that what was going to happen was going to bring distress to Nitzavet. So she informed her of the plan. And so they pulled Aaliyah and Rachel. And the night of that espousal, they swapped places. Within a few months, their plan was now evident as she began to show that she was with child. Her sons were now outraged at what happened, including Eliab, and wanted to kill their mother and thus kill the child. Yet Jesse had compassion on her and said, no, instead, let's place all the blame on the child whose name was David. Therefore, from the day he was born, he was treated as an outcast. He was bearing the weight of something he did not choose to do. Sounds a lot like Jesus. He was living with the repercussions of something that was not the result of his hands. If something was lost or stolen, David became the assumed culprit. This is why he said in Psalm 69 and 4 that he was forced to repay what I have not stolen. By everyone's estimation, the legitimate child that Jesse had longed for was now the least, and the son that he had hoped would become the salvation of his family's integrity was now nothing but a disappointment and an embarrassment and shame. With that in mind, putting things in context, we now have a better understanding as to the relationship between David and his brothers. It's no wonder why he was left in the field when Samuel showed up. This was simply ritual. This was what their life was like, that David was always excluded. So when his brothers went to battle, Jesse sent him to bring food to his brothers. He did not intend for David to become the hero. He only sent some cheese and some bread or crackers. He was simply supposed to bring food, but David showed up and he heard the enemy taunting. And Eliab got mad. He didn't even like David to begin with. And now he says, I see the pride and the, and the, and the, the naughtiness of your heart. You're only here for attention. You're used to being the outcast. And now you show up and, and David's here hearing this enemy. And he finally speaks up and said, hold up a minute. What have I done? Is there not a cause? Y'all can't fight your own battle. You don't have your own solution. And you treated me like dirt all of these years. David was caught weighing two things out. He was weighing the cause versus the cost. He knew it may cost him his reputation. He knew it may cost him his life. It would surely affect certain relationships. But he made up his mind the cause was greater than the cost. We always approach this story from the angle of David killing the enemy. But perhaps there is another angle we could look at. Could it be that it wasn't about David killing the enemy? 
But maybe, just maybe, it was about David saving Israel from destruction. Maybe it was about someone who made up his mind, I don't care how big the enemy is, and I don't care how people treat me, I love them enough, and I love my God enough, that I'll put, I'll save them from the hand of the wicked one, because the cause was greater than the cause. Clap your hands under the Lord, will you? So remember, history repeats itself. And we have Jesus as the root and the offspring of David. David was mistreated by people. David was bearing the burdens of something that his hands did not bring about. David was living with shame. David was living with all of this people talking about him. Yet he loved them enough to say, I'll put my life on the line for the salvation of Israel. And yet now we see Jesus Christ in like fashion. He didn't simply come to destroy the enemy because he, he, the, the enemy was already cast out of heaven. He couldn't even get back up into heaven. But maybe he looked at people and he said, I know that you don't like me. I know that you'll just crucify me. I know that you won't have nothing to do with me. And I know that you think I'm an outcast. But I love you enough that I'll weigh the cause and say that the cause is greater than the cost. And I'll put my life on the line for you for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost he had a cause his cause was to save people he didn't come to save people that liked him he came to save everyone because most people didn't like him but he still weighed the cause and found that the cause was greater than the cost. In fact, Isaiah describes Jesus like this in chapter 50 and verse 6. It's a prophetic word. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Do you realize that before Mary ever held that baby that day in that manger, that God had already surveyed the landscape of his life. God had already looked at Pentecost. He backed up and looked at Calvary. He looked at all the things that he was going to have to go through. He looked at the, at the 39 stripes. He looked at them plucking off the beard. He looked at the spitting and the hitting and the shame and the side being pierced with a spear. He looked at everything that he was going to have to do to save people. And he calculated the cost. And he made up in his mind that the cause is greater than the cost. I love people so much that I'll do whatever I got to do to reach people. I don't want them to go to hell. I don't want them to live eternity apart from me. So go ahead. Here's my face. You take my beard. Go ahead. Here's my back. And you whip me for the 39 diseases of all humanity. I'll gladly go to Golgotha's Hill because I'm doing something to reach people. I've come to preach to Wallace Ridge tonight. If there's anything that we have to do, we have to make up in our mind. We've got to reach people no matter the cost.
lost. We've got to reach the lost. There's people going to hell, and the only way that they're not going to go to hell is there's going to be somebody that stands in front of them and say, I love you too much to let you go to hell. Jesus, Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. How can people endure so much pain? It's what I never understood. Mothers having babies and can scream their lungs out during childbirth. And they go through pain. I mean, I, I've never had a baby. But I imagine it hurts just judging by what I've observed. And yet, I mean, they can make promises. I'll never have another kid. I'll never do this. I'll never. But when they're holding that baby, well, we may have a few more. Hold up a minute. Five hours ago, you hated your husband, and you hated everybody you saw. And you didn't even have the Holy Ghost when you was having that baby. And now, you want a whole family full, a whole house full. You know why? For the joy that was set before. The prize was greater than the process. And you can, you can deal with all kind of people in life. And they can mistreat you. They can hurt you. They can say ugly things about you. And you think, you know what? I don't want anything to do about with you. But you let that person come to an altar and get the Holy Ghost. And the joy will far exceed how they treated you. You know what we need to say? You know, I don't care how they treated me. I don't care what their relationship's like. They got a soul, and I want them to make it to heaven. In speaking to his disciples in Matthew 28, Jesus shared what has been labeled as the Great Commission. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, which we know is Jesus, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. The great commission, not the great mission, if it was the great mission, that means he's, he means it, he's telling you to do it by yourself. But it's the great co-mission, which means I'm not by myself when I'm on my mission. It means I've got someone working with me to reach people. God doesn't expect you to reach them by yourself. He's with you. He's given you the words to say. He's given you the wisdom to operate. It's a joint venture. This is what he says in Luke 14, 23. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. David acted in order to save Israel. 
Jesus moved in order to save all of humanity. Now Jesus placed a burden upon his church and it's our turn to reach people. God did not expect you just to come to church, get the Holy Ghost, and sit on a pew. God expect you to come to church, get the Holy Ghost, turn your life around, and let other people see what God did in your life. That's why it says, and ye shall be witnesses of me. Has the great commission become the great omission? Have we omitted the very thing that God intended for his church to do? And that's to reach people. To reach people. My friend, every time I come to this, uh, this, this pulpit, please, please, please. I know some people would refer to this as a podium. But this, placed anywhere else, you might call it a podium. But when it's placed right here, it's a pulpit. Because every time I come up here, I'm pulling people from the pit of hell. I'm trying to reach for people's souls. Yeah, I like to preach things to make people happy. But I'd rather preach things to help people get saved. We gotta have a bird for people like we've never had before. God, keep us awake at night thinking about souls. God, stir our heart with babies being born. This pulpit's not used for inspiration or motivation. Let me preach to you tonight with passion and conviction. This thing, this, this pulpit is simply used to pull people out of their sin, to pull people from the gates of hell, to pull people out of their depression and their misery because there's people all around in Catahoula Parish that are lost. They're lost. First Samuel chapter 1, verse number 6, speaking of Hannah. This is what the Bible says. Her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. She wasn't having babies. No babies. I've been around enough preachers, Brother Spakey. I've been in churches, little churches. I've been in big churches. I've been on the West Coast. I've been on the East Coast. I've been in all kind of cultures. The devil doesn't mess with a pastor and taunt him over the music. The enemy doesn't provoke him over the color of the walls, over the chairs, the pews. Enemy doesn't provoke a pastor and taunt him over whether he preached good or not. You want me to tell you where the enemy provokes the man of God the most over? Where's your babies? Where's the babies being born? And I ask you this question, church. What good is having church for year after year after year after year if there's no babies. Because the whole purpose of the church is to reproduce. And I have monitored and I've watched churches that are operating in spiritual incest. And you study out what incest does in the flesh. 
Every generation has more problems and more problems and more problems. And we don't need a spiritually incest church. We need a church that has new babies coming in. Our motto and our theme is believe, become, belong. Because it doesn't matter what they look like, what they smell like, what they act like. Everybody deserves a trip to an altar. Everybody deserves the blood of Jesus Christ. Everybody deserves to have their sin covered by that precious blood. James 2 and 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is going to convict you. The Lord of glory with respect to persons. For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are, trans and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Because God loves everyone. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter how they smell. It doesn't matter where they come from or how much money they have or they don't have. The growth song says the ground is level at Calvary. Nobody has greater access to God because of their pedigree or because of their bank account. So I'm saying bring the poor. Bring the people that don't have anything. God, when we throw the net out, we're catching anything that gets in the net. You listen to me. If in 10 years, I say, you know what, church, over the past 10 years, we've spent $500,000 on outreach. We bought five buses. We put, we put fuel in them. We put insurance on them. And we reached, we went out and we reached people. And we get to heaven. And one soul was saved. And it cost us $500,000. The cause is greater than the cost. We cannot judge our effectiveness in dollars and cents. We cannot judge and weigh out things over how much is this going to cost? How much is that going to cost? What you got to look at is the cause. And the cause is people souls, reaching people. God, give me a bird for people like I've never had before. God, stir my heart for people like I, you once stirred my soul for people. I'm preaching to people that's been raised in this a long time, and I'm just trying to stir something in your spirit. 
because my mama was a bus kid. And I, I heard one person say one time, we got to get rid of our bus ministry. It's not cost effective. It's costing us too much. It ticked me off, brother. Because if somebody would have said that when my mama was a little girl coming to church, I may not be standing here tonight. You cannot look at the kingdom in dollars and cents. Yes, we have to be good stewards of God's money. But when we're talking about, well, what am I doing with this? And what are we doing with this? I tell you what we're doing. Everything that this church does has one thing at the center, and that's souls reaching people, reaching people. When you go fishing, you change baits. Unless you're like me and you get mad and you just stop fishing. I bought a brand new rod. I was so proud of that thing. I, I never bought me no nice rod. I bought me a brand new rod. Went out to Sergeant's Lake on the pier. Threw it out. Started reeling it in. Get reeling. It stopped coming. I said, well, I think I'm stuck on something. I said, I popped that line. I just I was tugging at it, tugging at it. Broke my pole right in half trying to break that line. I ain't bought a fishing rod since. But what I know about people who do know how to fish is they may have four or five rods already prepared with different baits because they realize what worked last week. It may not work this week, but I got some other baits but I'm going to try, and I'm going to catch something. And as a church, we're constantly monitoring what's working. How can we reach people? How can we do this better? I believe that in my mind, I told our leadership, excellence without excuse. If we're going to do it and our name's going to be on it, we're not going to throw something together. It's going to be with excellence. But if we try it and it don't work, we're going to change rods. We're going to get something different, and we're going to reach people. Okay, how they reached them in the 50s, probably not going to work today. Other than prayer and fasting, that's always works. But everything we do is about souls. You cannot put a price tag on a soul. The cause is greater than the cost. Stand with me right now. Everything, everything we do, we have to weigh and make up our mind the cause of reaching the lost is greater than the cost. It may cost you time and prayer. It may cost you time and energy working for the kingdom. I'm not talking about just monetary cost. It might cost you relationships with people. I was driving down the road the other day. The Lord spoke to me. He said, call this particular person. Actually, he said, stop and see him. And tell him time is not on his side. I, I like telling people good things. 
And I started arguing with the Lord. This is how I know it's usually the Lord, is I get sick to my stomach and I start arguing, trying to talk my way out of it. That's usually the sign that this is God, because my flesh don't want to do it. So I said, Lord, I just don't know about this. I don't know about this. I've never done anything like this to this person. And, and, and I don't want to offend them. So I'm going through all of these excuses in my mind as to why this is not the Lord. This is just me. And I begin to talk to the Lord, and I said, Lord, I just need to know it's you. I just need to know it's you. That's always you know, our flesh. We just, give us a sign, God. Let there be a rainbow as I'm passing by. Give me a sign. And so I begin to think in my mind, Lord, what if I go and I tell that person and nothing happens, nothing ever happens? He's going to think I'm an idiot. And the Lord whispered back to my spirit, what if you don't tell him and something does happen? He missed the opportunity to get right. I said, Lord, I think you won. So I pulled over to that place where I knew that gentleman was. Walked in. He wasn't there. I said, all right, Lord, I'm off the hook. He wasn't there. Got in my truck. The Lord said, call him. All right, God, I'll call him. So I called him. I said, sir, I've never done anything like this to you. I said, but one thing that I've learned is not to question what something means when God speaks it to me because I'll always be wrong. I said, but the Lord told me to tell you that time is not on your side. And he's given you a window and a space of time to make things right. I said, I, I love you and I want you to be saved. When I hung up, Maybe because this message was rolling over my spirit. The cause was reaching that man's soul. The cost was me putting my pride aside and doing what God wanted me to do. And in that scenario, the cause was greater than the cost. And there's similar instances that's going to happen in your life. There's things that if you're sensitive to the Holy Ghost and you want to be used by God, God wants to use you, but you can't weigh out and say the cost is too great for me to reach souls. No. If the perfect one weighed out the cause versus the cost, who was perfect and still drew the conclusion that the cause is worth it. And who are we? Who are we? Every time I passed those cotton fields, that scripture would come to my spirit. Look on the fields, for they're white, ready for harvest. The harvest is plenteous. There's so many people in Catahoula Parish that God wants to fill with the Holy Ghost. He's never had a problem finding people that want salvation. His problem's always been finding people that's willing to go work in the field and to reach people.
Heads bowed and eyes closed this evening as we prepare for our altar service.